This is the current federal tax developments for the week of October the 31st, 2022. Current federal tax developments are brought to you by Kaplan Financial Education and by your State Society of CPAs. I'm Ed Zollers coming to you again this week from Phoenix, Arizona. This week, we're mainly going to talk about one topic, which is the IRS's release of the draft instructions for the 2022 scheduled K-2 and K-3 for Form 1065, because that's going to answer a number of questions that a lot of people have had about what the IRS's plan is going forward on that form. We'll also, though, have a little brief discussion starting out here about the fact that the IRS has once again turned on its P-10 renewal time. So we're going to see the uh, P-10s. Uh, it's now time to go out. You can start renewing your P-10 again for the next year. So don't forget to do that. But as I said, our key thing this week is going to be that draft 2022 Form 1065 K-2 and K-3 instructions with, which is the key thing we're waiting for, the revisions the IRS might make to the exceptions to filing the form. We'll discuss briefly how that's going to work this year. Well, the P-10 part is pretty straightforward. Again, the IRS announced in news release 2022-190 on October the 27th that the 2023 P-10 renewal period is underway for tax professionals. Now, on some sites I visit, some discussion boards, that had already been noted. Some people were getting antsy once October 15th finished. They were trying to get in there and get access. It became available early in the uh, early in the week, but uh, the formal announcement didn't come until the 27th. So the IRS formally announced that. They do remind you that the cost this year is $30.75 to renew or obtain a P-10 for 2023. You can do that online. There is a paper process if you insist on using paper but they strongly recommend you do it on the online setup. And remember, you do need to get this renewed before the end of 2022, or at least before you touch a tax return in 2023. So probably best to get in and get this thing done here sooner rather than later. But that is now back up and running. So let's talk about, though, the big thing that happened this week on the 25th. The IRS released on their draft forms and instructions website Partnership Instructions for Schedules K-2 and K-3 Form 1065. This draft is dated as of October the 25th, 2022. Now, key thing to remember about this is it is a draft. So while we're going to talk about here what the IRS has said will be in the instructions for this year, you do always need to be careful and remember that drafts are drafts and things could change by the time we get the final form. Now, they make changes from 2022, from the instructions, basically, from what we had during this year that we got. So we're updating this. So for the returns this year, we're going to get some revised instructions. And there are some in a number of areas. We're concentrating here today primarily on the thing that I think most of you are interested in, which is the requirements that caused a lot of domestic partnerships to have to be tied up in this filing. And the question is, do we have the problem this year or not? There is a significant change to what I will call the FAQ question 15 exception that we got in February last year. We will have a version of that, but it's going to be a little different. And we're going to find out that there'll be two key dates if you plan to make use of either that exception or what's called the form 1116 
exception. And that will be, one will be a January 15th date on which notices must be issued to partners if you're going to try to use what was last year's FAQ question 15 exception based upon not having foreign activities and not having provided foreign information on the prior year. And there's a second one that will be required to have information from partners by February 15th if you cannot meet the first exception but you want to try to at least reduce providing some information related to the foreign tax credit detail to every partner, uh, you'll need to have information from the partners, and this is what gets a little tougher, by February 15th. That February 15th date will also be the date by which if any of the individual partners are going to object and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, you're, you're trying to get that old question 15 exception from last year, uh, you know, and no, 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 I need that data. That's the day they have to respond to you that would require you to go ahead and prepare the Schedule K-2 and do the Schedule K-3s for that partner. So we have those, those key dates will be important. Now, the instructions, as I say, they go on for a while. Uh, they did tell us this on the FAQ page. They actually told us that they were going to be issuing these instructions. And What's interesting, of course, they posted that like a day after they posted the fact they had the instructions, but they put the instructions up. So if you just check the IRS instructions site, you'll see. As of right now, the 8865 and the 1065 versions are up. We do not yet have an 1120S version. And, you know, take that as you will as to what that might mean for this year. I think at least initially we're going to start assuming that we're going to be getting this type of exception. Or, you know, we're going to get similar rules to what the partnerships get will probably show up on the S instructions, but that may not happen. We'll see if S's get treated differently. Now, one interesting thing, though, that was only disclosed on the IRS's uh, Frequently Asked Questions page, that is the official title, Schedules K2 and K3 Frequently Asked Questions, Form 1065, 1120S, and 8865, FAQ. That was that thing that came last February. You know, February 16th, as I recall, that was posted to the site that made some major changes, and we've had a number of clarifications posted there. That site gives one indication about how quickly the IRS wants to move on finalizing these instructions because they are asking for comments to be sent directly to a email address. Now, there is a comment option on the IRS draft form site, and you can send your comments there in theory but it looks like in this case, there is a special internal, rather long, uh, lbi.passthrough.international.forum.changes at irs.gov that will be receiving comments on this form in particular. And the IRS wants those comments in by November the 8th. So yes, get your comments in this week. Uh, that suggests to me that the IRS wants a rapid turnaround on this form. And as we'll discover, there's a valid reason why if they're going forward with the system they've got here, we're going to want a valid turnaround. With that said, let, let's take a look at the exceptions. What did they change? As you may remember, last year, our big problem was for most small partnerships, you know, if, if you have things like uh, tax, you know, partners that need information for the base erosion, anti-abuse tax, you probably have been aware of that for a while. You know, if you have foreign partners, you're probably aware of that. You know, various odd things that require international reporting information 
That sort of stuff the partnership was involved in, you probably were aware. As the IRS points out in these instructions, and was true last year, true this year, nothing on the K-2 or K-3 technically has not been required for a long time for partnerships to give to their partners. However, prior to the K-2, K-3, this was always done via plain paper attachments to the return. So these are the areas now that we've formalized. Yes, if you have to report in those areas, you want to read these instructions. They do go on for, as we recall, 46 pages. So you do want to go read these. There's also separate instructions for the K-3. So that's what's going to go to the partner. So you have that background. Now, but as I said, the big thing that causes trouble was that a lot of people didn't realize they should have been providing was very detailed information about the makeup of gross income, the makeup of the detailed deductions, the makeup of interest and what things were secured by. And a lot of those items that are required in parts two and part three of the, of the schedule K2 and schedule K3 relate to trying to fill out the first page of Form 1116 for a taxpayer who has credible foreign taxes. And in theory, if you take a look, and I always send people back to that, try to explain K2 and K3, you have to understand 1116 to make any sense out of what they're looking for on K2 and K3. And if you do that, you're going to find out that in many places, I need things like gross income. I don't need net. A K-1 shows me net income. A K-1 does not give me gross income. But the way you kind of work your way into calculating what is your foreign, you know, what, how much foreign tax credit you can claim on the 1116, it's based on, you know, the proration, the, you know, the proportion of foreign taxes or, for, let's say, on your taxable income, how much of that makes up or consists of what's essentially foreign taxed income because the foreign tax credit is limited to that proportion. So a proportion of foreign net foreign income, net, you know, the net taxable income that's foreign to total taxable income times your overall taxes at the federal level. So that's roughly the computation. That computation does actually need all of the stuff or virtually all of the stuff you see on part two and part three of schedule K2. Yes, that's a lot of detail. For the most part, it's duplicating detail already on the pass-through, but now breaking it down by source, you know, which country, etc. And as I say, it's required because to do the 1116 calculation correctly, which, let's be blunt, I suspect a lot of practitioners and a lot, certainly in those doing TurboTax for the personal return, were clearly not doing right. Uh, you know, you need that detail. Now, again, that depends on being required to follow the 1116. Last year, we got on the FAQ question 15, we got a special exception that looked at, well, did you have any foreign partners of any sort, direct partners? You know, in essence, did you have any foreign activities for the year? Did you report on the prior year's return? you know, any foreign items on the prior 1065. And if not, if no partner complained to you that they needed the Schedule K-3 information, you did not become aware somebody needed that information on the K-3 to complete their individual or business or corporate tax return, 
then you are allowed to skip the filing. We are going to get a modified version of that this year, but there are significant changes. If you meet four requirements, and we'll talk about what those are, and they are different than last year's. They're related, but they're different. You do not have to complete and file with the IRS schedules K2 and K3, nor do you have to furnish to a partner the schedule K3. So it won't go on the return, and you won't give it to the partner at the time you file the return, generally if you meet the four requirements. So let's talk about the four requirements. The first requirement we're going to find here is what's called the foreign activity test. So the foreign activity test means that your partnership must have no or limited foreign activity. Now, obviously, that raises a couple of questions. The obvious one is, what is foreign activity? And then number two, the other interesting question is, what exactly is limited foreign activity? Okay. Let's talk first about what is foreign activity. Per the instructions, foreign activity is any foreign income taxes paid or accrued, right? Any foreign source income or loss will count for this purpose. If you have ownership in a foreign partnership, that counts as foreign activity. Ownership in a foreign corporation will be foreign activity. Ownership of a foreign branch, ownership of a foreign entity that's treated as a disregarded entity, uh, basically, will count for this as well in that regard. And all and the issue, that gets you the coverage. Okay, good. Get this covered down. Went a little bit too far if you're watching the slides go by, if you're watching the video. So if you have none of that activity, then we're fine. But remember, two of those activities were any foreign taxes or, you know, you had foreign taxes or you had foreign income. Well, what if you're a little partnership that, you know, owns a rental property in Grand Island, Nebraska, you know, but what if, you know, it invests some of the funds it holds for a while, it holds some funds in there for if we need to do repairs and other stuff, it has that invested in an, in a mutual fund and that mutual fund kicks out $6 of foreign taxes. Well, in theory, you know, and said you had, you know, $100 of foreign income. Well, in theory, of course, that's a problem because that would be foreign activity. And I should point out, under the rules for the 2021 returns, that would have caused you to not be able to use the FAQ question 15 exception. You would have had to file the K2, K3, you know, and essentially then looked at some other ways maybe to reduce what you're reporting based on you know what would be considered relevant data to the individual partners but this year we are going to give you an out for the people that have that kind of limited uh you know investment in a mutual fund or some shares of stock that kick off foreign taxes as long as your foreign activity is limited to passive category foreign income generally that's dividends interest that sort of thing and that are reported to you, right, essentially, right, on a 1099, etc., that sort of stuff. So maybe on another K-1, or I should say K-1 from a partnership, or a K-3 from a, you know, partnership, or shouldn't really be an S-corporation inside a partnership, but we'll go for that. 
as if you have that, that's your only source of income, and the taxes you have are less than $300, then you qualify as having limited foreign activity. Now, please note that's $300 for the partnership. It's not that, hey, well, no partner is going to get more than $300. If you have limited foreign activity, right, and you do otherwise qualify, remember, we meet the other test to qualify to do this, right? And we talked about these are all shown to us on that payee statement, which is the 1099. If you qualify for this, you will still have to provide a statement to the partners telling them their share of foreign taxes and foreign income from the mutual fund, but you don't have to do the full-blown K2, K3. So I guess that, that's kind of our good news on this. So that's our first test, either absolutely no foreign activity or probably we can say no foreign activity except for, you know, foreign taxes from mutual funds and that sort of thing of less than $300. That's how you can meet the foreign activity test. So if you've met that test, now we're going to get ready to move on to the next test. And this is the U.S. Citizen Resident Alien Partner Test. This is a bit more restrictive than last year. All of your direct partners must be one of the following categories. They must be individuals that are U.S. citizens. They must be, or they could be, individuals that are resident aliens. Right? That would qualify them as well under this. It could be a domestic decedent's estate is fine as a partner. So that's not going to cause us a problem. A domestic grantor trust where it has solely U.S., you know, basically U.S. citizen uh, or resident alien, uh, should say beneficiary for the grantor trust. So if it counts for that, that works as well. As well as other domestic trusts, right, that has solely U.S. citizen or resident alien individual beneficiaries. So these are all things that can qualify us to do this. Now, key thing to note here, you cannot qualify if you have a partnership or a corporate partner, right? Last year, we were told as long as we had domestic corporation or domestic partnerships as direct partners, we could still skip this. You know, in essence, that was okay, not skip this, but that was okay for qualifying for the predecessor of this, the old question 15 on the FAQ exception. That's not around anymore. So if you have any partners or any, if you have any partnerships as partners or you have any corporations as partners, you, sorry guys, can't use this exception. I think there were some problems uh, with especially larger organizations that were expecting K3s. There were a lot of 8082s filed because they didn't get the information. And so, yeah, so the inconsistent treatment reporting. So I think the IRS decided we're not going to go down that path. Partnerships simply have to, you have to, you know, basically you have to give it to the partnerships. That'll be there. Now, the third test, this is where we get very different. If you meet the first two criteria, you must give to a partner a notification that is either electronically or by mail dated no later than two months before the due date without extension for filing the partnership's tax year 2022 form 1065. Notice that is without extension. It doesn't matter 
that you plan to put this partnership on extension. It doesn't matter. You still got to get this out by essentially January 15th. The notification must state the partnership will not, the partners will not receive Schedule KC from the partnership unless the partners individually request the schedule. So this, this is the key takeaway from this. You have to send that notice out. And again, that date's going to be January 15th because the due date is March 15th. You got to be two months earlier. So very early in 23, actually, I guess nothing here stops you in 22, except in theory, if you get new partners between now and the end of the year, you're probably going to have to make sure you send notices to them. Somebody dies, whatever, I need another notice sent. So in one sense, I'd probably say get ready to send this the first week of January, have these ready to go. But then on the first week of January, confirm the partners and then send them out to the partners. That's how I suggest partnerships handle this. But that notification must go out. Once you've sent out that notification, then we get to the fourth test. And this creates a new term that is used in these instructions called the one-month date. You must not receive any Schedule K3 requests by what's called the one-month date. If you do not receive any of these back by the one-month date, which is one month before the filing date, the original due date without extension. So this will be February 15th, right? As the instructions note for this calendar year, the one-month date is February 15th, 2023. If you don't receive notices back from anybody by that date, you absolutely do not need to file this form. You don't have to send the K-2 and K-3 with the partnership return. That is very different from the question 15 rule, which said if you got notified before you filed the return, then you had to prepare the K-2, K-3. So on 21 returns, let's say that you are on extension. You were there till September 15th. You were, you know, you were pretty sure you met this exception. You were going to go down this path. And on September 14th, just before you got the return filed, one of the partners says, I need the information. Now you had to scramble and get the K2 and K3 put together and put that on the return in order to have a properly filed return. And worst case, if this partnership didn't qualify for the Bipartisan Budget Act exception, it could have become could could become very messy at that point because you would have had an improper return, and in theory you wouldn't have been you know if you just filed as is, and then you would have had a problem of having to amend the return. So you would have said, well, we could file late, or we could file on time. You know, we can file on time and not get penalized, but then we got a you know problem of the bipartisan budget act, and the information wasn't properly reported and. While it's not, an, it's not a myth that couldn't be solved, I would say probably at that point, the partner would just file an 8082 saying they didn't have the data, you know, that essentially that, that the K1 didn't, the, you know, the partnership didn't provide the data on time and uh, they would be, but that would set up potential IRS correspondence, exams. Yeah, it was messy. This is nicer. If they don't get it to you by February 15th, then... If they, if they contact you just before you're going to file the partnership return, that doesn't mean go back and redo Schedule K-2 and K-3 from scratch. 
and have it as part of the partnership return. Rather, we have a little bit of different rules. Like last year, if, if you had met the requirement and then you received the request, right, and this is what the note tells us, is if they receive a request from a partner for scheduled key information after the one-month date, right, and you don't have any requests before the one-month date, then you can still ignore the K2, K, the sending in the K2 and K3 with the partnership return. But what you will do is provide to that partnership or that partner basically the Schedule K3 completed with the requested information. But now just the information they said they needed. And you're going to have by the later of, you have to get it to them by the later of the date on which they file their 1065 or one month from the date on which the partnership receives a request from the partner. So you always have at least a month to provide this data. So if you actually file the 1065, then yes, you've got to provide the information if we've gone more than a month, if that's more than a month after you receive the request. But again, we no longer have that problem that unless you're trying to file, you know, before February 15th, we no longer have the problem of getting a notification at the last second. Even then, you can't really file before February 15th under this exception, right? Because you, you can't meet the requirements at that date. If you do receive a request from a partnership for Schedule K-3 information on or before the one-month date and you therefore don't satisfy this fourth criteria, the partnership is required to file these the K-2 and K-3 with the IRS and furnish the K-3 to the requesting partner. Now, what's interesting is, though, this year they make it clear that K-2 only has to contain the information from the partners that have requested the K-3s. Your software may or may not make it easy to do that. It may be simpler to give it to everybody if somebody requests it. But in theory, you could limit the K2, K3 production to only include the partners that have requested it. Now, will our software support that this year? Your guess is as good as mine. It might, it might support it. It might not. That's going to be one of those uh, pieces of fun this year. So the IRS gives an example of a partner request information in Part 2, Section 2, the interest expense apportionment factors. The partnership is required to complete and file K-2, Part 3, Section 2, with respect to the partnership's total assets, and K-3, Section 2, with respect to the partner's distributive share of the assets. On the date the partner files the K-2 and K-3 to the IRS, the partner must provide a copy of the filed K-3 to the requesting partner. That's the standard part there. But it turns out and tells us the partnership does not need to complete, attach, file, or furnish any other parts of the Section K-2 or K-3 to the IRS requesting partner or any other partner. So you don't have to do that. You should keep records on information requested by the partner that is primarily uh, to justify, you know, what, what's been happening, you know, th that you did this correctly. And as we said, if you receive information both on or before the one-month date and after the one-month date, well, the ones the ones you get before the one-month date, those people, yes, that has to go on the K-2, go with the return. But the people that tell you about this afterwards, they're under the, they're under the same. You only give them a K-3. You don't send that information to the IRS, or you're not required to. You're not required to include that information on the Schedule K-2. That is filed with the IRS. So you don't have to go back and take care of that. 
So what that does mean is that by February 15th, if you meet these qualifications, we are going to know what we're filing with the IRS, you know, exactly what we're preparing as a return. Last year, under the question 15 rule, as I said, a partner coming in at any point before you actually got that filed, you put it electronically up to the IRS, or if you were doing paper, you know, you got that off to the post office and in the hands of the U.S. Postal Service. Until that happened, uh, you could be forced to suddenly have to add a lot more work. So this does simplify that. From that standpoint, yeah, I guess we can say it's good news. Now, the IRS does have a few examples in here, and they are somewhat useful. They have four examples of dealing with this. Their first example is a married couple that are both U.S. citizens. They each own a 50% interest in a partnership, and they each have a tax year end of December 31st. That partnership invests in a mutual fund. It receives $100 worth of credible foreign taxes. Uh, it's got a Form 1099 for the mutual fund. It had $100 that was you know, eligible for the foreign tax credit, and it was on their dividend income for the mutual fund. The partnership does not have any foreign activity other than, the than basically the mutual fund. The husband and wife received a notification from the partnership dated January 10, 2023, that they will not receive the K-3 unless they so request. The husband and wife do not actually request that for the tax year, and it qualifies for domestic filing exception, and as such, the partnership does not complete K-2, K-3. Now, what's interesting about this example, and it probably was chosen intentionally, is, yeah, it's a husband and wife. Yes, the, hus the partnership, the husband and wife partnership, has to document it sent a notice to the husband and wife each as partners. So as ridiculous as that sounds, you need to document and document that took place by January 15th. So yes, that is an issue. Next example, we're going to have the same facts, except they have another partner. So instead of just husband and wife, we have husband, wife, and uh, an individual A, some other person, who owns a 20% interest in the partnership. A gets that letter from the partnership stating we're not going to provide the K-3 unless you request A. So A, our extra partner, does request that, and he tells them that on February 1st. At this point now, the partnership does not qualify for this domestic filing exception because it received a request before the one-month date, before February 15th. As such, it must complete and file the parts and sections of K-2 and K-3 that are relevant to A. With respect to the schedules K-2 and K-3 filed with the IRS, the partnership does not need to complete, attach, or files any parts or sections relevant to the husband and wife. The partnership must provide a copy of the filed uh, schedule K-3 to the outside part, to that third partner, on the date it files its return, but it does not need to provide a K-3 to the husband and wife. Next one, we're going to take the same facts as that last set, except the partnership doesn't receive that request from the third partner until February 20th. It files its form 1065 on August 31st, 2023. It qualified for the domestic filing exception. Even though well before it filed its return, it knew somebody needed that information because that person, we had given them notice on January 15th because they didn't write back to us until, you know, February 20th. We can go ahead and we don't need to prepare the K-2 or K-3 on the partnership return. It won't go to the IRS, right? Yeah, like I said, it's, it was months ago. You know, we, we basically have had this information 
that they're going to need this data essentially for over six months, but it doesn't matter, right? We're fine with that. Rather, it must provide the Schedule K-3 uh, with to that partner, though on the same day it follows the 1065. Why? Because this is, since, like I said, six months, more than 30 days. This is way more than 30 days after we receive the request. So if we, you know, we have the later of 30 days of the day we file the partnership return, we file the partnership return. You know, since we didn't do it by 30 days, right, the partnership return was far later. We're going to have to do it on the same day the partnership filed its return. And finally, Again, repeat the same facts as not that example, but let's go back to the, to the example, you know, what they call example three. By the way, the examples are numbered consecutively throughout the instructions. That's where we started with example two, not example one, because there's an example one earlier in the instructions that deal with something else. Again, so the facts are the same. So we've sent out the notices, right? We have these people and, you know, and partner A has sent in his request timely, right? He sent in his request timely saying, I want, I need the K3, send it in February 1st. So we go ahead and we provide. Now the problem is husband and wife, uh, you know, did not request the K3 until February 20th. In that case, because A, the third partner, did file a timely request, he gets a K3, right? His K3 information has to go to the IRS and end up on the Schedule K-2. Husband and wife have filed the request, but after the one-month date, so husband and wife's information does not need to go to the IRS, but rather husband and wife's information, you know, is just going to be put on a K-3 for them. And again, because we're doing this in August, the request got to us back in February. We are having to provide the husband and wife with the K-1 at the same date, or the K-3, at the same date we file the return, and the same time we give A, A's K-1, or K-3, uh, because we are more than 30 days past the day that they requested it. Even though they requested it late, we're more than 30 days past. But because they requested late, their data doesn't have to go to the IRS. Got that? Right. It's a bit messy, but yeah, we understand where it goes. Now, the other thing they point out is if you can't qualify for that exception. So let's say you cannot meet the criteria there. You have $600 worth of credible foreign taxes. So as I said, we're a partnership. We have $600 worth of credible foreign taxes. Bad news, right? We therefore do not have, you know, limited foreign activity. We cannot use the exception we just talked about. So we're going to have to prepare documents for everybody. Well, again, our only issue here is that foreign tax. We have no other foreign items. We might be able to get out of filing the form if we meet the 1116 exemption. So we have a special 1116, actually technically the title of this is the 1116, let's see, the 1116 exception exemption. Okay. The partners meet this, section, this uh, exemption. Partners may not need to file. This is where we look at individual partners do they need to file the form. They may not need to file the form if they meet the exception found at Internal Revenue Code Section 904J. 904J is that rule that lets you skip doing the 1116. This is for individuals if they meet the following criteria, right? 
The entire amount of their gross income for the taxable year from foreign sources outside the United States consists of passive income. And again, this is foreign tax credit passive income. So we're going to talk about this. This is a category of interest, dividends, and the like, right? The amount of the taxes paid or accrued by the individual during the taxable year does not exceed $300 or $600 in the case of a joint return. Now, I should stop you right there. Obviously, if their K-3 is going to show more than that number, that's going to kill them off right away. But okay. And, you know, and they, they, they receive their information, right, only via K-1s. I should say only via, 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 get that corrected, form 1099 DIVs, 1099 INTs, Schedule K-1 from a trust or estate, or Schedule K-3 from a partnership or an S-corporation. If all of their foreign taxes come to there, all their foreign income is, quote, passive, that is basically investment, and they make, you know, and then they make the election to not file the 1116, then they qualify under this, right? They're not required to file a Form 1116. Now, here's the catch. A domestic partnership is therefore not required to complete Schedules K-2 and K-3 if all partners are eligible for the Form 1116 exception. And this is where the fun starts. The partnership receives notification of the partner's eligibility for such exemption by the one-month date. Again, remember, the one-month date is February 15th. So if you cannot meet the exception we talked about to start this discussion, now you have to turn around and get statements from all the partners. In this case, we got more than $300 of credible foreign taxes inside the partnership. I have to get a statement from every partner that they qualify to meet this exemption. I So now I have to have that. If they don't reply to me by February 15th, I am required to treat them as needing the information. That is a key part of this. This is the presumption that we see here regularly, right? If you do not have or receive sufficient information or notice regarding a direct or indirect partner, you must, and by the way, indirect partners count in this category too, so that's a problem as well. You have to go look for indirects. You must presume it's eligible to claim a foreign tax credit, and they would have to file a Form 1116 or 1118 to receive the credit. As such, the partnership must complete the Schedule K-2 and K-3, including Parts 3 and 4. That is a requirement for this purpose. Now, it is a little interesting there. There is one thing I see that might get need clarification and maybe some wiggle room. It did say does not have or receive sufficient information or notice. Okay, we know about the notice, right? We just went through the notice. The sufficient information. Nothing I see in the, in the instructions required to have the sufficient information by February 15th. So, but I'm a little leery of this because, you know, it depends upon how you're going to get that information. If you're just going to get it by they tell you it, then that seems like the notice, and then it seems like we're in trouble again. But it seems like there might be an out if you wanted to try with that argument. But I'd be a little careful here. And this may very well get clarified. I'm sure somebody's going to point this out to the IRS that what exactly does that mean? And will you please explain the circumstance where we'd have sufficient information 
but that information would not be considered to be a notice. You know, do I like, you know, do I need to like get copies of, I don't know. You know, I, it, it, it's, it's difficult to know how would I know that information. You know, just one of those issues. Maybe if you're actually preparing the return for the individual and you have, and you have permission, I, yeah, it's, it's just, I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure I want to try to use it, but it is there, okay? So the IRS has that. Now, they do have an example of this. Husband and wife are U.S. citizens, each own a 50% interest in a partnership. They each have a calendar tax year. The partnership invests in a mutual fund. The uh, partnership receives uh, $400 of credible foreign taxes, paid or accrued in passive income. Uh, the partnership's only foreign activity is from the mutual fund. Okay, basic problem here that we have. The husband and wife do not pay or accrue any foreign taxes other than the distributive share of the taxes from the partnership. They do not have any other foreign source income. Uh, they qualify for the exemption and notify the uh, partnership by February 15th. They do not need to file, do not need to schedule K3, right? Even though it doesn't qualify for the domestic filing exception, uh, because the credible foreign taxes are treated as paid or accrued by the partnership are greater than $300, because they're notified, and this is one of those odd cases, but, you know, if, if, if the same person is preparing all three returns, I mean, husband and wife are the partners. The partners, you know, they as partners of the partnership, the managers, the people that can sign the return, you know, each of them knows that the couple doesn't have that much credible taxes. But this still suggests they get a notice that would seem like if any way there was a way to have information. Otherwise, it would have been under this fact pattern. But as I say, I don't know if the IRS really means by this that the notice was the only way to make this work. But, you know, it's one of those things like, yeah, but the partnership already knew, literally knew, because the partnership is the married couple filing a joint return. Okay, just I don't know how that works. Now. Key caveat here, as I noted, this these are draft instructions, right? First thing is you should probably take a look at this and start thinking about how your clients would react. You also may consider if there are parts of these that right now you're listening to this, it's before November 8th, and there are parts of this that you're not happy with, I would strongly suggest you go to the IRS's you know, FAQ, you know, just search Google IRS FAQ on Schedule 2 and Schedule Schedule K2, Schedule K3, and you'll find the last question has the email address to send comments in. I would suggest you send them in. You know, if you want to suggest that because this is brand new for the first year that that date be moved back, right? That optionally a partnership can elect to move that date back, but then any notice they get you know, more than within one month of issuing the notice would count. And they can't, and essentially, and if they file their 1065 before that date, they just have to provide the data. You know, I would think things like that might be a reasonable option for one year only to get used to the fact that this has to go out by January 15th. But I'd also start planning to get somehow notifying my partnerships about needing to do this right at the beginning of January. And you probably want to get them notified before we get into the holiday season. Because for all you know, the managing partner may decide to go take a two-week trip to start the new year. 
and not be back in town and available until after January 15th. So I would suggest you get the note out there about the fact we're going to need these notices to go out. And we need something to take care of this. Don't wait until, you know, like January 10th to try to get all your partnership partners contacted and saying, hey, you know, you should be doing this because you might end up having to actually do a bunch of K2s and K3s uh, and uh, do, do them and eat all the and not charge for doing the K2, K3 because we're doing it because you didn't get the notice out to you didn't you know, you basically procrastinated, didn't get this done. And now the partnership, you know, didn't send their notices out. So they have to file this thing. Well, this has been the current federal tax developments for this week. Uh, I figured the K2, K3 was big enough by itself. We didn't need to worry about other stuff. And aside from the TI, aside from the P10 opening, wasn't exactly anything huge going on. So look good enough. As always, uh, you can, if you have any questions, you can email me, edzollers at currentfieldtaxdevelopments.com. I do have courses this week. So I'm going to be a bit busy. And I'm actually going to even have a little bit of travel in the middle of the week. Uh, so I'm going to be out and about uh, doing a few things. La last week was loads of fun because I got to be on a red eye uh, going from 10 p leaving Portland, Oregon at 10 p.m. and finally arriving at a hotel in Rochester, New York at 11 a.m. the next morning. By the way, that's not very much fun. Uh, I'll give that to you. It's really one of those odd things. It does kind of solve the whole issue about being confused about time zones and jet lag because if, if, you've, been, if you've been up ever since, you know, 5 a.m. Uh, Pacific time the day before, and it's now 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern time. Your body's not terribly concerned about what time it is, aside from the fact that it's like you need to get more sleep than you got on that plane. So, yeah, it kind of solved that problem. Uh, and then having then a late flight back to Phoenix uh, that I could, you know, make do. So it was like, yeah, that, that, that was a bit of fun for the week. Uh, but do that. I do have some summer broadcasts this week. So we have that. I have broadcast mainly I'm doing this week. So we're going to take care of that. So be seeing people around, see how things go. I do monitor posts on the uh, listservs for the Arizona Society. I should say listserv or connect site, Arizona, New Jersey, Minnesota, uh, and Illinois. And I also take a look at what's posted on the uh, on Idaho site. So if you're a member there, you can post questions there. As I said, otherwise, email me at zollers.currentfulltaxdevelopments.com. Uh, and if I have time, I'll try to get back to you. In any event, we'll look forward to what the IRS comes up this week. Are we going to see this? Will we see the K-2? Will we see the 1120S version of the K-2 instructions? That, you know, that, that's kind of interesting why that one's not out yet. So we'll take a look at all of that. But otherwise, I look forward to seeing you all back here a week from now for current federal tax developments.